Hey friends, I'm Nikki Smith, your host here at A Heart That Beats for Home, the podcast where we're ditching filters and diving headfirst into the raw beauty of all things home. Now, I am no expert when it comes to this whole parenting and marriage dance. I'm simply a gal who's been riding the mom roller coaster for 22 years and a wife still untangling the mystery of it all 25 years after saying I do. My goal is to bring you unapologetically messy and boldly genuine conversations about cultivating strong families. We're gonna laugh, possibly cry, and straight talk about the joy and chaos that comes within the four walls that we call home. No judgment and certainly no perfection. Just real talk from my heart, a heart that beats for home. Let's dive in. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of A Heart That Beats for Home. Thank you so much for being here with us. We are still very much in our inaugural stage of this podcast. And boy, oh boy, am I on an uphill learning curve when it comes to podcasting. There is a lot of elements that you have to figure out, whether it be the technical side or the content side the editing, all of the different things that come with deciding to take on this journey of podcaster. And I knew that that was going to be the case. And so I am not discouraged. I am not dismayed. I am trudging forward. But in full transparency, this is a re-record of this entire topic. And that is because after recording it and bringing it down to edit it, I decided that it was too much information for one podcast. And so kind of reformatting it and re-recording in what now will be a two-part series on the topic of building connection with our teens and young adults. When I was kind of taking polls and asking people questions about what they would really love to have conversation around and things that they struggled with in their home, overwhelmingly, this was a topic that came up is how do I build connection with my teen? How do I navigate the teen years? And I think that it's so important. I think relationship is really forged in these teenage and young adult years. And the stuff that's happening in this six years or seven years of our kids in these coming into adult stages is pivotal into our relationship with them as adults. And so I am super passionate about this topic. I'm super passionate about trying to do it well. And although we have failed epically at times in some of these ways that we're going to talk about, we also have gotten it right a lot of times. And so I think that the encouraging thing is that you can fail often and still succeed. It's that whole concept by John Maxwell of failing forward. And sometimes that's just the way we have to do it. I will also preface this episode by saying there is no one right way to do parenting. And so the beautiful thing is that we can all take a different path and end up at a really successful journey. And so nothing that I'm saying here is gospel truth. None of this is if you don't do it this way, you will not succeed. And it's also not if you do everything that I tell you, you're going to have a perfect relationship with your children. But I do believe that these five points that we're going to dig into that have helped us build relationship and connection with our teens and young adults is going to be information that's going to be beneficial to you and your family. And I hope that it is something that you can take and that you can mull over. And even if you just have one or two takeaways from these next two episodes, I'm hopeful that it will help you in building connection with your teens. So getting right into it, the first point here is, is my desire to build relationship with my teen greater than my need or desire to be right. 
Can I get an amen from the people that have opinions? I am one of them. I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of reasons why I think the way I want to do things is the right way. And this is a hill that often I could choose to die on and it's not worth the battle. And so this whole concept of, am I working to improve the relationship with my child or am I trying to prove that I am right? So many times when we find ourselves getting in these cycles of arguments and walking on eggshells and just lacking in communication, if we really dissect it down, most often it comes down to one or both people in the conflict trying to prove that they are right. I'm right about the way that I'm seeing this. I'm right about the way that you should have handled it. I'm right about the way that you didn't handle it correctly. I'm right about the way that it should have been done. And most conflict is two people coming together with unmet expectations or with different ideas of how things should be done or what is right. And so when I look at this on a day-to-day interaction with my children, I realize that there are a lot of things that I feel like I'm right about, that I don't think they're doing something the right way. I don't think they're behaving the right way. I don't think that they're taking the right process to get to the end result. I don't think the study habits are the right way. All of these things, down to loading the dishwasher, that I could decide you're not doing it right. And if every one of those things was something that I took a a strong stance on, 100% of my day would be in conflict because it would be just we would have a constant rub of wanting to do things differently. And so something that I believe my husband was the one that first brought this to me probably five or six years ago was this concept of, is this a principle issue or is this a preference issue? And I think that this is a key to deciding where to put your energy and where to engage or really draw a line in the sand when it comes to using your authority as a parent with your children. So let me give you some practical examples of what this looks like. So a principle would be something, it would be a rule or a core value in your home that you just say, this is a non-negotiable. These things that fall under our principle, core value items are things that no matter what we will do. I will discipline if they are not upheld. I will call them out if people do not abide by them. These are just core values that we have as a family. And so here's just a couple. This is not the entire exhausted list. This is just a couple that I picked out for example's sake. But some of the principal items in our house would be, number one, how we treat each other. There is just a standard that we hold ourselves to or that we try to hold ourselves to. And when we don't, it's called out. We are kind to each other. When we are unkind, a parent speaks up. When we don't treat each other's things well, a parent speaks up. When there is just nastiness or bad talk, a parent steps up. That is a place that we are going to discipline and constantly correct because a baseline for how we want to live in this house is we treat each other well. That's a principle for us. The second one is the tone in which you speak to your parents. Tone and respect to parents is huge for me and Jed. You will not disrespect me, not with your words and not with your tone. Even if everything that you're saying is 100% correct, if your tone is nasty, you are going to be called out. You are going to be held accountable. You're going to have consequences if you don't fix it. 
I always say to my kids, if you wouldn't talk to your teacher that way, if you wouldn't talk to your coach that way, you sure as heck better not talk to your parent that way. And so that is a principal thing that we will absolutely engage in and have conversation around if that is not being upheld. Another one is as a Smith family, we attend church together on Sundays. We go as a family. We sit as a family. It's a non-negotiable. There are very few instances where somebody is granted permission not to go to church. And I'm so grateful to say that that is a conversation we hardly ever have because our children love our church and they love attending and they love serving there as a family. But that's just a non-negotiable. That is not something that we have conversation around like, hey, I'm going to stay home today or I just don't feel like it. This is a principal thing in the Smith family. What about phone usage and the rules? When you get a phone in our home, there are rules that you will have to abide by to keep that phone in your possession. You will have to care for it. You will have to be okay with your parents having your password. You will have to be okay with any of the parameters that we set up because for us, phone use and phone boundaries is a principal thing that we will come back to. It is important enough to us, we feel like there is enough risk associated with cell phones that we will put parameters on. And when you don't follow them, you will have consequences. We will use our words. We will use our energy to combat issues that we have if you're not staying within those guidelines. That is a principal item for us. So those are some example of principal core values that we hold to in our family. These are things that we feel hold value for the future of our children, for their integrity, for just their well-being, for the way that they are able to interact in the workplace and in marriages and with other families and at school. And so these are things that we are going to invest time and energy into really encouraging and molding and holding our kids accountable to these principal items. But now let's talk about some preferences because preferences are things that I may have very strong opinions on. I might feel like, ooh, I feel like I am 100% right in my opinion of this thing, but it's not one of our principal core values. And so I'm going to have to be okay to not make it something that is a point of conflict. And I'm going to give you some examples. So some preferences, one that just came up, and so it's a funny story to talk about because it's fresh in my mind, is a couple weeks ago, I was having a pretty heated discussion with Olivia, who is our freshman in college. She was able to do a lot of her prerequisites for nursing school and high school, and so she is working through nursing school now. And a handful of the classes that she has to take this next semester or a few gen ed classes, and she was positioning that she felt she should be able to take them online. And I 100% came into that conversation with a big fat no around that because I have all the reasons in the world that I think online learning is not as beneficial as in person. And I can tell you what those reasons are. I can tell you all the things and the reasons why I feel like I'm right down to simple things like I think there's benefit in a classroom. I think there's benefit in a teacher being right up in front of you. I think there's great benefit in having peers around you and having structure and having order and routine. And I would argue that I'm right, that online learning is not as beneficial as in-class learning. Well, Olivia had a list of reasons why she felt these specific classes were very appropriate to take online, and she had all of her facts and opinions and all the reasons why she felt like she was right. And so we found ourselves in this head-to-head bullfight, because we are very similar, 
We both came into that conversation with a lot of opinions and a lot of facts as to why we felt we were right. And it was literally like a bullfight. We were going head to head and neither one of us was budging. Neither one of us was seeing it the way the other person saw it. It turned into tears and frustration. And after I removed myself from that conversation that night, it wasn't but 12, 14 hours later that I had some time just to process it that I realized, Nikki, you're not really fighting for anything other than the fact that you think you're right. Her making the decision that she thinks is right for her isn't going to derail her career. It's not going to cause huge harm to her. She hasn't given you any reason to think that she won't take this seriously. She's a good student. She applies herself. You really are just fighting to be right. And I had to go back and have a conversation with her where we talked through, you know, the fact that we both let our emotions get the best of us and that we both have valid points, but that ultimately I saw that her list had a lot of good valid things as well. And that because she's 18 and although she's living in her house, she is having to learn. She's having to make her own decisions and she's having to deal with the pros and the cons that come with that. And I have to be okay to let her do things her way, even if I don't think she's doing it necessarily the right way or the way that would be right for me. And sometimes that's the question. Is it the right thing or is it the right thing for me, but the right thing for her could be different? And so after we had some conversation and I agreed that, yes, you are right, those ones feel like it would be appropriate for you to take them online. But I'm just going to ask that we agree to these guidelines and these parameters and you know, these check-in points. And if you'll do that, then we can agree to that. You guys, that was a preference situation that I had turned into a principal situation for nothing other than trying to prove that I was right. And I think this is where we get caught so often with high school students. Number one, because a lot of times they can press us. They can they can come at us where we used to get away with our fifth grader. We could just say, no, I said so, or because that's the way we're doing it. And there, there wasn't always a lot of pushback because our kids knew If mom and dad said it, it's just the right way and that's what we're going to do and I don't really have room to do a lot of arguing. And as our kids get older and they start to grow their own free will and their own opinions and they start to have a little bit of life experience behind them, their opinions start to get a little bit larger. And it's in that time that we can find ourselves in a lot of conflict. And so just coming back to that question, again, whatever it is in front of me, am I working to improve my relationship with this child or am I really just trying to prove that I am right? So that's one example. Let me give you another example. And this is a great place for me to come in here and say that the beautiful thing about this principle and preference concept is that there is, like I said earlier, there is no one right way to do it. There is no list that it's like, these are the core principles that every family needs to to make their core principles. This is something that you as a family get to sit down based on your family dynamics, your parental style, your moral compass, and you get to say, these are the things for our family that are going to be principal. And they do not have to be anything like mine. In fact, there are probably some of these preferences that are going to make some people literally break out in hives because they cannot imagine letting go of the reins of some of the things that I'm going to talk about. And that's fine. If it doesn't work for your family, if it creates more stress for you than freedom, then you need to look at what really needs to be on your preference list and adjust it accordingly in the same way that every family can make their own. So this one, 
I know my OCD friends are going to have a hard time with this, but I decided several years ago that the cleanliness of my children's room was going to be a preference, not a principle. I say that not that they can do absolutely anything they want or there's absolutely no boundaries. But when I say the preference of their room, I'm talking about things like, do they make their bed or how do they make their bed? Do they live out of a laundry basket of clean clothes or do they put things in their dresser? Do they even fold their clothes or is it just a pile of clothes right out of the dryer into their room? Do they keep dishes on their desk and their nightstands until, you know, there's three or four or five or 10 up there and they bring them down to be washed? These are all the things that I'm talking about. I am not talking about filth and disgust and garbage that's out of control and things that would attract rodents and mold. I am talking about the basic preferences of how they keep their space. I have very strong preferences on how I keep my space. I bring one cup up to my room every night, my water cup. Every single morning, the first thing I do is grab my cup when I'm heading out of my room. I make my bed in a very specific way. I know exactly what pillows go where. I fluff the cushions every night or every morning. I I like my bed to look full and made. It brings me peace and it brings me order. Those are my preferences. That's how I want my room kept. But if my child in high school decides that that is not their preference, I have just had to make the choice that I don't want every conversation that I have with my child to be me trying to get them to do something or to change something or to see it my way. Because to me, that is a constant chipping away of relationship. And so this was one where I just had to be okay saying they know how to clean. They know how to make a bed. We've taught them routine. It's all things that we were very intentional about when they were little because they are important skills to have. And my kids have those skills. Whether or not they choose to implement them in their rooms at this time of their life is part of figuring it out. I will also tell you that very, very seldom has anybody's room gotten to the point that I had to intervene and say, this is disgusting. This is not allowed. Most often, the same people that choose not to live with these really strict boundaries, they also get frustrated with the way the room starts to look when they let it go too long. Today, for example, one of my children, it was a snow day. And they literally spot cleaned their room cleaner than any room in this house has been in the last year. They shampooed the carpets. They cleaned the windows. They, I mean, that room is spick and span. And so it's a reminder to me that they know how to do it, that a lot of times with teens, some of these things like the cleanliness of their room has a lot to do with all of the things that they're trying to balance in this new world of taking on responsibility, new levels of homework. Maybe they have a job, maybe they're in a sport and it's boiling down to them having to figure out time management. And I would much rather them figure it out and have some freedom and have some flexibility where everything isn't always walking on eggshells because they know that they're gonna be in trouble if they don't clean their room or I'm gonna come in there and blow up at them and it's gonna be a constant war of nagging. I just, I chose not to fight that battle. And so that is one that is a preference for us. 
Another one is bedtimes as the kids get older. I would love to tell you that everybody has a bedtime and everybody follows it, but that's just not, in my opinion, reality for high school kids, that they have a lot on their plates. They have different activities. They have sports. They have heavy schoolwork and they have friends. There's just, again, there's a lot that they're navigating and trying to figure out. And I have not set hardcore bedtimes for my children once they get into high school. Now, again, each child might be different depending upon what their needs are. But so far, my high school kids have not had to have bedtimes. There's absolutely times where I go into their room and I gently nudge or I say, man, you should really go to bed. You'd feel so much better tomorrow if you got seven hours of sleep, right? But I am not tucking my high school kids in or arguing that there's a certain time that they have to be in bed. Most often now they're tucking me into bed. And until there is something that demonstrates evidence that I need to make an adjustment to that because they're failing in their classes, they're being disrespectful, they're sleeping through their alarm. There's other things that are happening as a ripple effect of that decision Then I am going to let them kind of manage that. And I'm not going to constantly harp on, you need to go to bed, you need to go to bed, you need to go to bed, because that just becomes exhausting, honestly, for both of us. And so that is another one where that is a preference once my kids are in high school, not a hard, fast rule or a principle. And then the last one, just because we kind of talked about this in the principles, is we do go to church together every Sunday. That is the principle. The preference part of that is what you wear to church. Again, this is one where I could constantly nitpick and have opinions about why I'm right about what you should wear to church or why you should get more dressed up or all of the things and all of the opinions, most of those opinions being formed because I was raised in a much more conservative church with a lot of opinions and a lot of judgment on how you showed up. And so that is kind of deep-seated in me. And when I really take a step back, and I see my kids downstairs and they've gotten ready and they have their Bibles in hand and they're ready to go, the last thing that I need to be drawing attention to is if I think their jeans are appropriate or if I wish they were in a dress or if I wish they had a button-down shirt on instead of a sweatshirt. Those are just not things that I am going to give any authority to causing tension in my home, especially on a Sunday morning. And that has just been one of those things that has been hard for me. But to be able to say the principle of this day is that you are going to church with me and the preference is you can choose to wear what you're comfortable in as long as you look respectable. That's just going to be how it is. And honestly, I've become so okay with it. What used to be so hard for me to let go of has really become very, very easy. And I love the fact that my kids get to show up at church authentically who they are, not because their mom or their dad put them in a box or a pastor said they had to wear a certain thing to be accepted, that they get to show up exactly as they are to church on Sunday. That would be a preference for me, what they wear to church. So those are just some real practical examples. Like I said, that is not an exhaustive list of all of them, but just such a great guide for us when we're trying to decide, am I going to engage with my child here? Am I not? Is this going to be something that's, that's worth going to battle for? Or is this really just a preference situation that I need to just give them space to be who they are and to really only use my energy and my discipline and my correcting when it comes to principle? 
items. Now, there's always room to coach and to encourage and have conversation around preferences or even ask them how they came to the point that they came to whatever the decisions are. But in a way that's not about creating conflict, it's about building relationship and inquiring and having that connection. So that's the first one. Is my desire to build relationship with my children greater than my need or desire to be right? All right, the second one. Don't take things too personally. And I know that this is easier said than done, but once you have teenagers, you enter into this whole new world of what the heck is happening with the emotions. And one of my very, very favorite quotes about this time of being a parent is the quote by Carrie Campkiss. She's an author. I believe that's how you say her name. But she said, teens often have the right feelings on the wrong scale. I'm going to say that one more time. Teens often have the right feelings on the wrong scale. And if that doesn't paint a picture of adolescence and navigating the teen years, I don't know that there's anything that has a more accurate description of what it feels like to be a parent to a teenager. And I also don't know that there's anything that better describes just the emotional craziness that teens are going through when they're navigating this whole new stage of life. And so just seeing that and reading that, it so applies to what I have witnessed in my own family. I will tell you that Madison, when uh, she was in grade school, she, I mean, was just steady Eddie. She's always been very, very just kind of flatline emotionally. She doesn't have high highs. She doesn't have low lows. She's very methodical. She's organized. She just, everything has a system. She has no friend drama. She's just, she's just a very straight line, even keeled child. And I remember when she was 12 or 13, looking at my husband and saying, I have no idea what has happened to my child. I don't know where she is. I don't know who took her. This is nothing that I know to be true of this child. And I am so confused by it. And it was just her processing through this stage of all things changing, of more responsibility, more expectations, physically changing, emotionally changing, navigating friendships, balancing workload of school with sports and all these different things, and just feeling the pressures of the world with raging hormones that comes along with being a young teen. And it was so eye-opening for me to see that even the most you know, stable of stable children that really seem to not really get phased by anything can get really phased by this stage of becoming teenagers. And just to keep in perspective that so often what they're feeling is the right feeling. It's just on the wrong scale. And when we can recognize that as parents, I think one gift that we can give our kids in this stage is trying to help diffuse the situation. And I think often my natural response actually pours gas on the situation, which helps nobody. And what I'm learning is when I think about when I feel out of control, when I think about when life feels really overwhelming for me, it's in those kind of situations that I also have emotions that are on the wrong scale. When things feel completely overwhelming to me that typically wouldn't feel overwhelming or when I feel like there's no way I can get ahead when that same list the day before wouldn't have phased me at all. There are just times and seasons where things feel overwhelming. And when we say things that maybe are in our mind and maybe are valid that sound like, get a grip, you're totally blowing this out of proportion, you're acting crazy, this is ridiculous, those are all things that pour gas onto 
feelings that have rightful place, but that are being expressed in the wrong way. And so one thing that you can do to come alongside your kids, one thing that I have been able to learn by failing forward is that instead of saying things that naturally I want to say, like, get over it, this is ridiculous. Instead, when I take the posture of, hey, I am so sorry that you are feeling so overwhelmed. I can totally understand what that must be like to feel like everybody has really high expectations on you and you don't feel like you can get it all done. Can we talk about it? Or, hey, I am really sorry that you feel like that group of girls is being so mean. And I know that when you feel like you're being talked about or you're being picked on, it really kind of eats at the core of who you are and it's really unsettling. And I know that that can make you feel really, really insecure and it affects a lot of parts of your life. And I'm really sorry that that's what you're walking through. Are you okay if we talk about it? Anytime that you can validate the feeling and not pour gasoline into an already charged fire, you are giving your kids the gift of diffusing that situation and being able to calmly talk about it. And every single time we choose that reaction over the other, we are building relationship and connection with our teens. And it tells them this is a safe place. On the flip side, I also want to bring that so many times our teens are going to come to us and we are going to have a lot of right feelings on the wrong scale. And most of the time, it's when they're coming to us to say, I did this thing. I was with this person. I broke this rule. I broke this law. I got in trouble for this thing. I totally didn't honor what you said. When our kids come to us with confessions or what we call in our house, when people self-report, when they turn themselves in for bad choices or whatever it might be, I have to, as a parent, if I want to be a safe place for my kids, I have to underreact to the confession that they're bringing to me. And I do not mean when I say underreact to the confession, I do not mean not address the sin pattern. I'm talking about I underreact emotionally to what they are bringing to me. When I am able to maintain a calm composure, and not lose my cool and not spot out and say things like, I can't believe you did that. How could you be so stupid? That is not how we raised you. Or I can't believe you embarrassed our family name or all the things that in the heat of the moment when our kids maybe tell us something or when we find something out that's disappointing. If we overreact like that, our kids will never feel safe coming to us. And if there's one thing that I want to establish for my teens and young adults, it's that you can bring absolutely anything to me, no matter how scary, how sinful, how embarrassed, no matter what. There is nothing that you can't bring to me that we won't navigate together. That doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have to have some serious discussion but if my kids can't feel safe bringing those things to me, then I feel like I have missed one of the greatest marks and one of the greatest gifts that I can offer to my kids as they navigate this entire new stage of life that is scary and is overwhelming and often will turn them to google.com. Friends, 
If you want your kids to come to you, if I want my kids to come to me to ask the hard, scary questions, if I want them to come to me to inquire about things that they've heard or they've seen or they've been exposed to, if I want my kids to come to me and confess things before I even have to dig and find it, I have to create a space for them that when they come to me, I underreact compared to the emotions that I'm feeling inside. Because I never, ever, ever want my children to go to Google because that feels safer for them to get the information instead of coming to me. And they will go there. They will go there if they don't have a safe place. And so I just as much as I want us to not take things personally when our kids overreact towards us, I also want to remind us that when we underreact to the scary, confusing, crazy things that happen to us as parents, when we are coming into these teen and young adult ages, every time we make that choice, we are creating a space for our children to sit at the table with us, to feel safe, to feel heard, and to know that they have somebody that has their back, somebody that's going to hold them accountable, but somebody that's going to be honest with them and talk through things that are hard and scary that we want them coming to us for. And so that's the second one. All right, guys. Well, we are going to wrap it up there. We got through those first two. Those were a couple of the meatier ones that I really wanted to dig a little deeper into. I hope that this week that you might take some time to really work through that whole concept of is this a principle or a preference issue? Maybe you can come up with a list for your family, maybe on a date night, or maybe even at the kitchen table over dinner as an entire family. I encourage you to really kind of put some thought into that and see if it's something that might help you guys alleviate some conflict in your life and your family. Family. I know for sure that it's helped me to release my grip on some of the things that I hold a little too closely only because I feel like I'm right and being right doesn't build relationship. And so I just encourage you guys to take some time this week and dig into that a little farther. We will be back next week as we finish up this topic of building connection with our teens when we will talk a little bit about living by example as parents. We'll talk about connecting more than we correct and also parenting per child and their individual needs. So join us back next week as we wrap this up. Thanks so much for being here, friends. Until we see you next week, take care. 